<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. James got a dog, right? James got a puppy. I got a pup. James... You are a maniac, dude. That is a lot of work, but it's going to be so fun. It's It's been hell on earth for the past <laughs> two days. No, it's been great. He's gorgeous. We love him. He's a rescue pup, and uh, his name's Lenny, and he's a barrel of laughs. He's super funny. He's currently, as we speak, getting snipped, snipperooed. Wait, so Lenny's like staying the night to get the snip snip? He's not with you now? No, he's staying the night. So they have like a like a midnight doctor who comes and snips off all the, the, the balls? Yeah, this guy like waltzed in at like 4.30 today as fresh as a daisy and he's like, let's take some balls. <laughs> and there was like the I swear to you there was like these six dogs lined up and he just like caressed their little beans all down the row <laughs> and was like and he said and he said you're in good hands literally <laughs> he did <laughs> and he like got to one dog and he's like no these are not ready you come back to me when these balls are ready give me only juicy balls die uh no but he caressed each dog in the ball area and then for I don't know why handed uh, them each a long stemmed red rose <laughs> and and ten dollars in an NDA yes Welcome to Sidework Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Wallace. Hey, I'm your host, Brooke Van Poplin. And back for part three of the history of mixology, James Dunn, everybody. Thanks for having me. Uh, <laughs> this has been a, a amazing triptych trilogy. Um, it's the third one in the series, and it's bound to be the most anticlimactic. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I... Honestly, revisiting, I'm excited to get into a lot of what we found. But first of all, let's raise a toast to each other. Yes. Oh, my Lord. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, Brian. All right. <laughs> Brian's, oh, Brian put on his Hawaii shirt. I'm Brian's wearing, like. I'm wearing one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I put on my, I'm Hawaiian from the waist down. Yeah, girl. Um, Brooke, you've got on a like actual, like I'm cool Hawaiian shirt as opposed I to. I I can't help it. I, I think it's, <laughs> it's true. I think it's awesome. She'll always out cool you fashion wise. It's just a fact of life. It's real cool. <laughs> So what is everybody drinking? So you guys, we decided this week we were going to do a happy hour recording and all make our own 
fancy cocktails. James, what do you got there? Well, uh, I had a little help with my friend Mrs. T. Uh, she <laughs> makes a pre-made pina colada mix. So what you're what you're feasting your eyes on is a Mrs. T's pina colada with a couple of scoops of vanilla ice cream, two ounces of or three ounces of ten dollar rum, and yeah. a maraschino cherry that has I don't know just like pathetically sunk to the bottom of the glass. That's what they do though. They, they always sink to the bottom. Yeah, what do you expect? And, you needed- <laughs> and these maraschino cherries, it says they expired in February of 2020, but I was like, you you, you don't, don't expire. You don't expire. You're totally fine. Yeah. Brooke, what do you have? Guys, <laughs> what, what do you think? I'm drinking a tequila soda. Um, ah. I know, but to be fair, at Tiki Tees, which I meant to mention last episode is after you've had a little too much sugary goodness, they have a really great palate cleanser called the Squeaky Tiki. Mm-hmm. And it's just soda water and cazadores, uh, Blanco tequila, and three squeezes of lime. Ooh. Love it. I also imagine they just like put a power washer right into your <laughs> mouth. <laughs> It's it's pretty bad when, you know, you do get that real sugared up rush and then a regular drink tastes like poison. Totally. Even, even though you love the taste. I love the taste of tequila. And I'm like, oh, this is the strongest thing I've ever drank. It really is not good. Where's the gummy bears? Uh, Brian, Brian and I couldn't. I didn't want to do rum. Rum and I, I mean, it's fine, but I'm not going to buy rum. That's just me. We have so much tequila. I love tequila, just like Brooke. So this is uh, fresh squeezed pineapple juice. Beautiful. Fresh squeezed grapefruit juice. Blanco tequila. I made sour cherry simple syrup. Oh, girl. And then I shook it all together. And then I, of course, did a little nutmeg zest on top yep and then we have a nice little pineapple leaf garnish it's fucking it's so it's like a it looks it's fantastic. like a, it's like a polo it's like a tropical paloma yeah you know i love it um yeah that's phenomenal I, my garnish game is weak you know i'm a very utilitarian drinker i get it it's a lot of it's a lot of flair that you do have to go buy but mm-hmm. you'll have it forever on your little bar setup so this was like really great. It was just I was like, oh, this is so simple. I just need these few things and just like one night of cocktails. And that's it. You know, just get creative with what you have, guys. Well, cheers life. to everybody. I hope they've had a really fantastic uh, week since we've all last gathered and spoken. Uh, Andrea, next time, you know, if you do want to pick up a little rum, even though you don't drink it, there's a huge selection of $10 rums <laughs> at <laughs> literally any place that says liquor on it. I love that you should become like the like a ten dollar rum expert. You're gonna be our new ten dollar rum expert. We'll have you on every three episodes to tell us about a new ten dollar rum you've tried. What out. kind of hangover are you looking for? Like spent <laughs> la- last last ten years in a sarcophagus, or uh, or or merely your team won the Super Bowl? Where, what are you looking for? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Ugh. Should we dive into some headlines? Let's dive into some headlines, Andrea. Headlines. So this headline coming to you from Florence, Italy, the Tuscany region, where these wine windows, which have been in place forever, like since like the 1600s, um, as it goes, like people would come to Florence and want to sell their wine and they'd basically give it to you in this teeny little, tiny, beautiful 
stone window and i'd be like a little hand would come out and be like ah here's your wine bye so back in the day during the black plague during like this in 1630 these windows were used a ton because they were like don't touch me social distancing take your wine bye cut to 2020 these fucking windows are being used all over florence and tuscany again i love it i love it it's like the glory hole of bars yeah it's just it's so great just and we all get so delighted by anything novel like that you know just the idea is like well i put my money into a hand and i hope it was the hand that actually makes drinks we'll find out it's it's like it's like dystopian chic for like a little hand just to come out and give you your aperol spritz for the evening it gives me major mood. I'm so into that. That I want to, you know, somewhere down the road, I really am getting serious about talking to people and because I know a lot of bars aren't going to make it. And can I talk to some former bar owners, whoever, and like, let's get something going. Like if I can invest somehow and get a bar with a service plan that already has a little bit of social distancing built into it in case the shit hits the fan again that you could immediately flip into the contingency plan totally you just like hit a button and everything goes on lockdown (laughs) lockdown (laughs) and then right all the wine windows pop up you know like the bartenders flip behind the library wall and then just a little you know who goes that? You could have window. a kitschy name like the sneeze guard, or like it's like exactly. it's like in seventies sitcoms or eighties sitcoms when like the bachelor hits something and his house goes from normal into a bachelor pad. Like mm-hmm, everything mm-hmm. turns around, it could be kind of like everything that. turns into a fucked end. Yeah, that's kind of what I think about secret hidden rooms. Is everybody's just gonna bone in all these little like bar rooms too? I love a wine window, and I I will. Everyone, um, one of uh, our favorite podcasts, it's called The Dollop. It's so funny, and it's usually about American history, but they did a 10-episode uh, season all about Europe, um, like England and UK, and there was like a gin craze that almost killed every person in London because they were all gin drunk for a century. They were so addicted to it. Um, So then, of course, they tried to do like a prohibition situation. Didn't work. Everyone just got smarter, got better at workarounds. And their version of a wine window was something called the Puss and Mew. And there would be like a cat, like an engraved cat uh, made out of metal on a door and then would literally be a little slot to put your you know, your shillings in or whatever. And then you would open your mouth and then down a chute would come a mouthful of gin. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> everyone, was, everyone was just walking up to doors like, I hope this is the gin one. I sure will feel bad if it's not. I wonder if people would try and like capture it in something or if they would just take it like full on no, in their mouth. straight in the mouth. Know? You're just going up and wow. putting your mouth on a door. I'm surprised they don't have that in Cancun. They, they do. do. They have luges. It's called a luge, bro. It is. It's a luge. Yeah, but not bro. not just go up to a, a a building, put some shillings in, and have it shoot booze at you. Right. Yes. Now it now it is a very like privileged thing to have someone pour booze down a mm-hmm. you know nice nice cold receptacle. Party's not over till the ice sculpture melts. By the way, yeah, they, they also do it like down butt cracks too, which I I don't know oh, yeah. how that got started. <laughs> um, well, here's another ridiculous headline, you guys. Uh, all right, all right. This is in a bar in Canada. It's one called Hell's Basement. 
accidentally named one of its beautiful, beautiful light beers, uh, accidentally named it pubic hair in a different language. <laughs> so first of all, it's a New Zealand hopped pale ale that is so light and they were looking for a word meaning feather, which um, I'm not familiar with this, but te reo maori, maori is the language that they used. And the translation can mean like featherish or fur, but basically if you're a local, it means your pubes. Um, <laughs> so they have a seasonal draft beer called you know, a 16 ounce pint of pubes. And the thing is like, they can't switch it back because of COVID. They printed their menus. They don't have the money to do it. Everything's frozen in time for a bit. So they're stuck with their pube beer for a little bit. I was like, we can't switch it, man. You know, COVID bro. Can't do it. COVID bro. Sorry. Um, But in, in New Zealand, Coca-Cola tried to merge their product with the same language, the Maori, um, used English, didn't get it right, didn't consult an actual person who spoke the language. And in the vending machine, the slogan on there to get a Coca-Cola said, hello, death. <laughs> Which is She's not, not great. Not, not true, you know? Yeah. Not great. But uh, let's uh, cheers to the, the bar in Canada that... Is offering up a refreshing glass of icy cold pubes. Yeah. Look, there's an actual pubic hair in mine. Oh my god. Oopsie daisy. You're the you're the bartender there, so you know. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, James, you do you did you are you gonna yelp yourself that there was a pube in your drink? Yeah, I'll one star myself. I don't give a shit. I'm mad at me, okay? I'm a bad bartender. I made one of the shittiest tiki drinks in the history. This thing has so much fucking sugar in it. I like you I'm angry right now, and I've had like seven I'm- sips of this thing. I'm really surprised you put ice cream in pina colada hey, mix. That's <laughs> what the Mrs. T recommended on the back of the bottle. Oh. Mrs. T. Well, you no- mean Mrs. T's not the old lady that lives next door to you? No, Mrs. T's like pina colada mix. <laughs> I know. You know, Mrs. T, I mean, we we lost her several years ago to type 1 diabetes. <laughs> um, I mean, her recipe lives I'm, on. I'm also, I prefer Mr. T's pina colada mix. Put it in a blender, fool. <laughs> All right. Is it time, Brooke? Yes, for some server. Server. Submitted stories. stories. All right, you guys, this one comes from Zach from uh, Instagram. We were badgering him to send us a story. So he obliged. And here's what Zach had to say about his time waiting tables. Well, which he's still doing. So. One of many stories I have, but at my first true restaurant job in Orange Beach, Alabama, was a summer gig. Before that, I had done concession stands and dumped cans into buckets growing up. I don't know what that means. Is it like making buckets of beer for people at a stadium? Cooling beers. Yes, that's Ah, right. Ah, okay. All right, all right. Okay, so... I need that clarified. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. But this sounds like a big deal. He's like, this new job was high volume shit. A whole new world. Clearly, he wasn't going to be dumping cans into buckets anymore. All right. So I start I start getting sat with bigger parties, friends of the owner, you know, the guy who's doing the closing server shit. Then one night I get sat with a three top. 
Two of them are an engaged couple. And the third with them is the maid of honor, who is already clearly feeling the evening. <laughs> the maid of honor proceeds to ask me, what's the sluttiest burger I can get? <laughs> <laughs> to which I reply, I would have to say the gooey burgers with gooey fries. Good. Great answer. Right. She immediately orders it and follows up by asking if my mother hugged me growing up. So I say, I mean, as much as I assume any mother would, which is a great response. <laughs> okay, so then her friend, the soon-to-be bride, apologizes and, sa and says, she's a few ahead of us on drinks. Uh, you know, wink, wink, sorry. So the food arrives finally, and the gooey burger lady asks me to sit in her lap while she eats and tells me she will hug me like my mother should have. Oh, wow. wow. Jesus. And then he left a very distraught emoji face um, because you, you guys, the stuff we talk about with the sexual harassment don't just happen to ladies yeah, in the service both industry. So he finishes. Thank you all for the podcast. Thankfully, I work for a corporate store that is taking extreme precautions to keep us safe in Nashville. Temp Great. checking all the guests and staff, required masks for everyone inside and gloves for staff. Mm. So that's great to hear. Awesome. No, other than like the sit in my lap part, do you guys think James, you know her more? Was that my mom? <laughs> <laughs> What's the sluttiest burger I can get? Yeah, that's your mom. Um, yeah. What kind of what kind of Costco wine do you have by the glass? I mean, there's also another. <laughs> obviously, the answer to that is the fur burger, but he. <laughs> He, I commend I commend his professionalism. <laughs> oh my god. I love it. I love pretending this is Susan. This is Sue out oh for yeah. a wild night. She's like, hey, what do you have in terms of a I'm looking for a night filled with sexual hamburgers and tomorrow morning I want a I want a Kirkland signature hangover. There's gonna what be a lot of shoulder shimmying happening. Whatever music <laughs> might be playing. You ever you ever hung out with a lady who's got a, a back deck? Um, that uh, we can overlooks a river and some bluffs. Overlooks a river and a jacuzzi. <laughs> Andrea's mom rules, by the way. Yeah. Oh, I know, but it makes sense that 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 Sue Sue has a fuck tub in that backyard. Oh, girl, oh, yeah. she got fuck tub. She in it all day. Oh yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Great story. But do you think like whatever restaurant they would go to, like, what's your sluttiest noodle dish at a Chinese restaurant? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's your sluttiest enchilada? What's your sluttiest <laughs> omelet? <laughs> <laughs> if a lady said that to me, I would... Not that men can't be sexually harassed. That's not what I'm saying. But if somebody said that to me, I would honestly be like, that's pretty hilarious. I mean, like, you're just a drunk idiot. But um, you wouldn't do the bachelor party prank where you like put your dick in a hot dog and like be like uh, <laughs> between two buns. I'll be right back with the burger. <laughs> Eat it quickly. Uh, <laughs> now, slow down, slow down. Eat it a little slower. Eat it just a tiny bit slower. Now eat it with oh your butt. Boy. Now eat it with your butt. <laughs> Watch out, guys. This is what happens when we podcast after hours. Oh, man. Mrs. Mrs. T has got me. Touch my body. Hi, ladies. Sorry, this is kind of long. I was in the industry for 10 years and finally got out last month. I yeah, girl. Yeah. 
I was listening to some older episodes and was reminded of a story from my time as a barista at a coffee shop in Dallas, Texas. It was a tiny, overcrowded, pretentious place with a lot of really high maintenance guests. Uh, Frasier much? Uh... We had one particular regular, Heather, who was no one's favorite person to interact with. She was high maintenance, highly critical, and frequently asked to have her skim caramel frappe remade. (laughs) She was the kind of regular that would see a new barista, assume they did not have the skills yet to compose her drink, and request to their face that a... Oh, this is... I... This is making me angry. That a more senior barista do it. Uh-huh. She would proclaim, mm, I can feel myself losing weight when I drink this. What? what? Is it, okay. I think she was like, mm, I can just feel myself losing mm, weight oh, when I drink mm, I can just feel myself losing weight when I drink this. And she would sip from her frozen sugar bomb. James's tiki Mrs. T drink. <laughs> it was a busy afternoon at the cafe, and I was working with a sweet but very ditzy barista who always seemed to have his mind elsewhere. He was a hard worker, though, and would take on any task one felt so inclined to delegate to him, which in this particular case was refilling the caramel bottle that we kept behind the bar with a bulk stock in the walk-in. As if on cue, Heather walks up to the shop for her daily drink. I hand it over to her. She takes a sip and immediately makes a face. I roll my eyes as she's made this face to me many times before. This doesn't taste right, Heather says to me. I asked her what's wrong and she continues to look confused, but by the sip uh, she just took. This really doesn't taste right. Will you please taste it? Because I'm sure it isn't right, Heather says, handing the drink back to me to taste. As a general practice, we usually never put our mouths on guest drinks. So I I will put it on a door that dispenses (laughs) gin, though. Right. Uh, uh, Can you lose it to me, ma'am? Um, we do, as a rule, we never put our mouths on guest drinks, so I just take the drink, set it behind me, and decide to remake it. It's quicker for everyone this way, and I would like to save myself the trouble of arguing with her. I make her another drink, and again, it gets sent back. This time, my manager tries it and points out that it does indeed taste off. After checking that the espresso and milk tasted okay, I called my coworker and asked, You restocked the caramel, right? He excitedly nodded his head, affirming the action. I went into the walk-in where a batch of syrups were usually kept and noticed that the caramel wasn't there. (laughs) We shared a walk-in in in the kitchen and I saw on a different shelf a container that looked similar. I opened up the container and immediately noticed that it was not caramel, but in fact the kitchen's batch of chicken soup. (laughs) I brought out the container to my coworker and asked if that's what he used to refill the caramel and he nodded excitedly. (laughs) Yes. Dipshit. Yes, I did. That's what I did. I did it. Did I do good? Me. I did that. Uh, that was the day that I made Heather a chicken soup frappe. Oh, fuck. Which she, of course, brought up for the rest of the time I worked there. Oh, that is such a Heather move. She would tell other baristas um, and servers about the time the kind the kind of goth girl messed up her drink. I know it's wrong, but I still get a little bit of joy whenever I think about it. I love the podcast and being able to relate to ridiculous stories. Ashley. <laughs> um, this doesn't, um, this doesn't taste right here. I'm sorry. I come in here 
every day. And this is like, this is the person who like cries wolf, you know, or yells fire too often because she's constantly such a pain in the ass that nobody believed her drink exactly. tasted wrong. Right. Oh, yeah. And then they found out they gave her chick a chicken stock latte. Yeah. <laughs> I can- Which sounds delicious. No, it doesn't. Not with the coffee. Yeah. No. Well, no, I don't know. It never it did. Um, yeah. it's, there's probably a similar drink somewhere in Europe. I mean, you know, like a chicken soup frappe. But um, I have worked with that person who was like, yep, uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh. Did I do, did I mess up? Did I hurt somebody? Is somebody dead? Like, All right, um, oh, on it, you know? Affirmative. I just blindly did what was in front of me. Uh, and those people are always so sweet and motivated, but then you end up having to go back and like redo a bunch of shit. <laughs> oh my God. Great story. You guys, if you have a server submitted story, please send it our way. Brooke, they've been coming in like hotcakes, right? It's been great. We, we, if you guys keep doing it, here's what I will dangle in front of you. If we get as many as we did this last week, we're going to start doing additional small episodes where we mm-hmm. just read your server submitted stories. Wouldn't that be so fun? It would be more content. We love you all. We love your experiences and want to read them. So uh, just send us your story, sideworkpod at gmail.com or drop it in our DMs at sideworkpodcast on Instagram. Yeah. Well, here we are, part three of the history of cocktail culture and mixology. This is just the path we took. You know, there's more to cover, but this is this is kind of the direction we headed. Right, Brooke? Yeah, I, I just feel like we we let it take us where it wanted to. You know, we followed where it led. You guide me. You guide me, cocktails. I'm sure next right? I'm sure next time you'll get to toilet hooch. <laughs> Which is a prison Absolutely. <laughs> prison <right>. delicacy. <laughs> um, so we we pretty much like we, we covered tiki a lot. Which leads us up to and through kind of the 60s, like the swinging 60s. And we've talked about the Playboy Club and we've talked about all that stuff before. So I kind of thought everybody knows about that, you know. So let's like kind of dash to the 70s. Um, the 70s, <laughs> apparently... We talked about tiki, tiki culture and like the overproduction of everything and everything kind of like losing its freshness. Um, the 70s were known to be like this long, dreadful time to be a drinker. Wow. <laughs> bartenders Jeez. relied super heavily on artificial ingredients, like zero fresh juices yeah. and like sickly sweet liqueurs like Galliano and Amaretto and Drambuie and Midori. Mm-hmm. Yes. I feel like it's just like Amaretto Sours was something like my mom because she's never had a mixed drink really as an adult. Yeah. She's like, I don't even know what to get. Maybe an Amaretto Sour. Right. Like, um, it's super, I don't know. It's offensive to me personally. Um, but one of the top drinks even at Studio 54 was made from Midori. Apparently uh, this drink, it's it's like Midori had his big, kind of big debut at Studio 54 as the legend goes. Mm-hmm. And they had a drink called a Japanese gin and tonic. So it was basically... Um, a gin and Midori and Cointreau and lemon juice, like, Whoa. or wait, no, 
There wasn't even gin in it. It's just Midori and Cointreau and lemon juice. And they called the no! Japanese, Japanese gin and tonic. <laughs> so that's what's... And this doesn't even fuck you up. Like, those are, like, the proof on all these liqueurs are so low. Maybe it's because everybody's doing so much cocaine. Yeah. Ding, right. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just needed, like, really sweet things to, like, cover up the taste of the drip. You know, something candy, <laughs> like, you know? More than that. Also, like, how much glitter got into dr- cocktails during disco days, oh, too? Right. And sweat, right? You've got just, like, shirtless bartenders covered in glitter. Everybody on the dance floor. Every- I mean, even just, like, getting a fucking drink must have been a goddamn nightmare. You grab your drink from the bartender. The minute's in your hand, somebody in roller skates smacks into you, <laughs> and the thing flies into the air. And you've got your crisp... And you got a new Andy Warhol suit. Oh, yes. I was thinking like this, like, you know, a polyester silk blend white jumpsuit. Roller girl jumps into you. And then you have fucking green Midori spilled all. And everybody's like, now that's something. This is also like the bartenders during disco days, especially Studio 54, famous as fuck. They got to do anything they wanted they'd be like uh just watch the bar for a second i'm gonna go fuck like three ladies in the back and and a dude like i'll be back (laughs) (laughs) like i read a story that that steve oh fuck i forget his last name um as a birthday present to andy warhol he gave him a trash can full of cash as his birthday present at Studio 54. He was like, here, Andy, here's a tra- here's a trash can full of money. Happy birthday. Oh, my God. He's like, listen, I was going to throw it out because <laughs> I'm just too rich. <laughs> <laughs> and then I thought this would make a very nice present. But, uh, yeah, Steve, like, I've, yeah. Seen, I've seen the documentaries. I know exactly who you're talking about. Talk about a debaucherous place to work. We all, we all know we can get away with things, but Studio 54 obviously, like, takes the cake. We don't need to get crazy, but just imagine all that, but then drinking shitty things like Midori sours. <laughs> but it wasn't just that. It was, like, um, grasshoppers, tequila sunrises. Yep. Harvey Wallbangers, Tom Collins. It's so much. But then you have the punk rock scene going, and the punk right. rock bars are just like PBR and whiskey, you know? And heroin. Yes. Oh, yes. Very much so. Other drinks that were maybe invented, or actually, I think were invented in the 70s, the Long Island iced tea, oh, you guys. Oh, dear. So, this was known to be invented in Long Island at the Oak Beach Inn, by a bartender, are you ready for it, you guys? Named yeah. Bob Butt. <laughs> <laughs> this show is writing itself. Right? Also nicknamed Rosebud, which, you know, because he had, because of his butt, the shape of his butthole, I assume. Oh, um, yeah. But as the story goes, there was a cocktail creating contest where you had to use triple sec. And in those days, triple sec and Coke were used all the time as mixers. So he can basically use those together. Five different alcohols, splash of Coke. And then you have the Long Island iced tea, which are you guys fans of that? I have had a good one. Um, Yeah. I can't remember particularly where, but I remember being like, oh, man, yeah, this is. I think that's the point of a Long Island, though, right? right? You don't remember? Exactly. (laughs) I want to tell one more Sue story. My mom's story. So my parents were still together when I was 21. I lived at home for a little bit. They had gotten like an iced tea pitcher and like made like Long Island iced tea concentrate 
and then they would just put on ice and add coke and they were like this is what we're doing when i left for work to do a dinner <laughs> shift and i came home and the house was pitch black dead silent like kitchen a mess <laughs> and like I was told the next day my mom and dad said they they crawled up the stairs to get to bed. <laughs> they got so hammered off Long Island. Oh man. Which is great. Uh oh. No, Bob Butt, we salute you. Thank you, buddy. Your crazy concoction. So the seventies were that time, but then the eighties kind of like interwove with it. They were kind of the same. Um and for me, the late seventies to early eighties, I'm thinking yacht rock, you know? Oh, yeah. I'm thinking like Margaritavilles. I'm thinking pina colada. <laughs> I'm thinking Aste Spumante and like <laughs> jugs of Gallo wine. Gallo wine. Jug <laughs> yes, wine, baby. Absolutely. But this also like introduces this dark age of blenders behind bars. Oh, yeah. Which, if you've ever fucking bartended, what a pain in the ass, right? It's not okay. It's not it's- okay to have a bar job that that requires you to blend drinks no no and this is all anybody wanted i feel like the 80s were this insane time where whipped cream was on every single fucking drink you could get Mm -hmm. it's so gross it's so gross and let's talk about whose fault it was shall we let's talk about a little restaurant called a tgi fridays god (laughs) when i saw that you found this research i was like it's been terrorizing taste buds that long since the 1960s are you serious 1960s yeah so here's the origin story so tj fridays was originally one of the first co-ed bars so in the 1960s on the upper east side it was filled with young singles who wanted to mingle and they would usually go to like in-home cocktail parties um so there were bars but like respectable women didn't frequent them so in 1965 a young perfume salesman (laughs) named alan stillman who was looking to meet girls as you know you do decided to open an institution that was designed to be patronized by both men and women so this co-ed bar he bought a bar on 63rd and first it was called the good tavern and then he renamed it tj friday's and started to like redecorate to make it more female friendly um and then the fucking craze started it was so busy um and all anybody wanted to do was get laid so he basically created this singles bar craze yeah they were saying they said it said that they had to reroute traffic through manhattan on weekends from eight to midnight because the line and the ruckus to get into a tgi fridays was so out of control yeah yeah and this is also kind of on par with the sexual revolution at the time like running through the 70s and like stillman attributes the bar's early success to the invention of birth control saying my timing was exquisite because i opened tga fridays the exact year the pill was invented and from there he like he kind of accidentally fell into franchising opening one in memphis tennessee but these motherfuckers went across the country and everybody wanted in um i think about like the idea of a singles bar too and kind of how they're portrayed in 80s movies do you guys remember this stuff like once bitten when they like go to like a seedy hollywood bar and there's like phones you can like call the other 
table and be like, you guys, do you want to fuck? How are you? Yes, <laughs> no. yes. That, I'm telling you, that's also, that's going to be part of my new socially distanced bar is that everyone has a rotary phone on their table and they're in a snug and you can call a table across the way and be mm-hmm. like, you know, you, you can just like prank them too if you want to. Or you could say, yeah. like, hey, want to put it in me? But uh, imagine how many uh, hookups you know, had to kind of stop in the middle because uh, the lady got a little too overwhelmed from all the bouncing and jiggling and threw up her mudslide oh. all over her male suitor. <laughs> oh, my suitor. God. oh, God. I, just, I am so I just, sorry. Can we, can we hold on a second? I need to. It's going to look like I'm taking a diarrhea shit out of my mouth, but <laughs> I swear it's not. <laughs> Okay, so here we are in the 1980s. TJ Fridays is still, it's all fucking brass poles and that pole, like, kind of looks like old timey barbershop quartet decor because apparently that was cool in the 80s. <laughs> so, this guy, John Bandy, who worked at a TJ Fridays in Los Angeles, he was an act, a wannabe actor, as you were, very 80s. He was bored at the job. He was a low barman on the totem pole. And he basically just started to flip bottles around at home. He would practice like uh, throwing napkins so they would like hit exactly where they needed to go. Um, Throwing ice in the air and catching it in in, in the fucking shaker, you know, all that shit. Got very good at it. And then boom, motherfucker, flair bartending is born in the 1980s in America. Now, if you guys don't know what flair bartending is, has, has anybody heard of the movie Cocktail? Oh, I think I've heard of it. You mean the movie that yeah. was robbed from the Oscars <laughs> the year it came out? <laughs> that the very same, the very same. Um, so obviously, this so this guy was the inspiration. Um, and we all know, like the the early flair bartenders. We talked about uh, the professor Jerry Thomas. Also known as the professor. So I like that he was making the blue blazers, but like that was kind of it until flair bartending started. Well, fun fact, uh, our, my friend Charles Gould, his dad wrote the screenplay for cocktail. No shit. Yeah. It was apparently there were like, <laughs> apparently there were like a hundred different drafts of that movie before it finally went through. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Haywood Gould made it happen. Um, That's incredible. I, I have a friend named, uh, you know, from the movie Cocktail, to me, flair bartending always seemed kind of, I don't know, cheesy. But maybe it's the way that, like, you know, uh, what's his name? Tom Cruise, like, after he made a drink, would bite his lower lip and, like, rock his neck back and forth. Yeah, because he's a horrifying <laughs> human and actor. Because he's a little... Well, he, even... I, he's not terrible. It depends on what the movie is. It depends uh, what it is, but yeah. But anyway... But, yes, this is bad. I have a friend named... Uh, one of my friends, Kyle Peterson. I was at a party once, and he was behind the bar, and he just started doing, like, like the bartending, and it, I was mesmerized. Like, wow. It was fascinating. Like he flipped it over. Like the thing that I think is so cool about it is they're not terrified. It seems like they're not terrified they're going to drop something, um, which they should be, <laughs> you know? Be- oh, yeah. I think it's all confidence. And then you have like your wingman, right? So you and then you see so you've got like your like your Jordan Pippen situation 
people are throwing things back and forth. And this guy, uh, John Bandy, he was known, he would like wow smokers by like shuffleboard siding a matchbook with a single match like already burning to like light their match. This motherfucker was good. We had a server submitted story of someone who did that move with the match and he overshot and caught someone's mohair sweater on fire. <laughs> I mean, you gotta you gotta burn a few sweaters to make an omelet, you know what I mean? <laughs> So TJ Fridays then starts the world uh, championships of bartending. Like they're in charge of that. And it's still happening today. Like it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I mean, TJ Fridays now obviously, you know, is not great. I think unless I don't want to offend anybody. No, but uh -uh. I'm suddenly (laughs) I my eyes are open anew. You know what I'm saying? Where I'm like, have I not been giving TGI Fridays the credit they deserve? I think Neil Hamburger said it best when he said TGI Fridays is great. If you want a stomach ache. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So we both we blow through the 90s. The 90s are pretty much the same. Um, as far as crappy drinks, but like that is more when we're seeing the big craze of um, martini culture, mm-hmm. specifically motherfucking cosmopolitans, which we know Sex in the City is very much <laughs> their fault for making the cosmopolitan craze so huge. It's like <laughs> you did this, you yeah. did this. Yeah, I mean, and this is also the decade, especially at the end of it, where, like, I started getting into the service industry and I started learning drinks and I was like, oh, what's this? What's that? So that was very much the craze then. And then, you know, we've talked even having Kara on, like, this is where, like, the kind of that, like, resurgence of... Rat pack. uh, Exactly, and all that happened. So, like, we don't really have much to cover on that because we already did a whole fucking episode on it. Um, And you guys can just go back and revisit Swing On Through with Kara Clank uh, three episodes before this. Absolutely. Began this wild ass journey. Um, But there's this guy that I want to mention really quick named Del DeGroff, um, who is known as the Cocktail King. He's a James Beard Lifetime Achievement Award winner. He spent three decades as a bartender. He was a wannabe actor like they sometimes all are, like everybody in the service industry is in like big cities. Um, And then he ended up getting his first bartending gig like as a fluke. They were like, oh, we need catering you. You bartend. They point to him. He doesn't know what he's doing. Ends up he's great goes from there um he worked at the rainbow room in rockefeller center forever and he basically took independent courses of study tasting bottles like educated himself like crazy and he is known as basically the grandfather of this new mixology movement that has led us up to the present day so we have to mention him um well and right because like he he kind of spans from that era into then what became like the resurgence of cocktail culture in general. Right. Which is really, you know, it's really cool. The fact that it's like sometimes the first iteration of it was the best, um, but we didn't quite get there yet. He was definitely trailblazing in the sense of bringing it back from everything. I was like reading about this fellow, but um, yeah, it's like they all consulted old, um, just like old like classic cocktail books from the 20s like they were just you know they were doing the whole thing where they were balancing like you said uh like that like a really good like sour you could taste just a little bit of the sweet you could taste the liquor you know some sort of like you did you garnished your drink tonight with some nutmeg or whatever but they were very 
balanced and this guy was all about bringing the balance back i think a really fun thing to note like you said this is when me you james all really started to work in bar and restaurant uh you know the profession and and learning and you know we've all grown a lot since then but i feel very much like especially when i was behind the bar it was um not behind the bar but serving drinks more like people were still doing shit like apple teenies oh yeah you know or if a chain like a tgi friday served it they would come to a low-key neighborhood joint and be like do you have apple pucker you know and you're like oh god do you guys make mudslides yeah for sure know, fucking apple pucker so yeah it, when we started working drinking was still rough like mm-hmm. it was tacky it was unrefined uh it, you really had to search to find elevated drinking experiences which none of those included any place i worked at you know um by any means and i thought this was really funny this is a roundup of some of the most disgusting drinks from the 2000s um the headline is booze from the 2000s you probably forgot because you were drunk oh yes don't know i also have a mashup if you don't mind i would love to mash up with you so please start and then we'll go head to head maybe (laughs) great okay I I didn't ne- I never drank this, but a Dr. McGillicuddy's peach schnapps. Ooh, what was that? Blah, blah, blah. Okay, let's not forget the Smirnoff ice. Oh yeah. Mm. Oh yeah. Terrorism. The Jaeger tap machine. Oh, oh yeah. yes. Oh yeah. Oh, that God. was like that's like a man cave staple now. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. And and what's really nice is they really regulate the temperature of the Jaeger so oh, yeah. that when you vomit it back up, it's a cooler experience. You, you know, you know, all of those tubes are cleaned at the end of the night. This is this is like when I was shooting Goldschlager. You know, yes. like you must learn to accept your mistakes. Hypnotic. Fuck. Right. Gross. Every bottle was just like bright blue, bright orange, bright pink. Um, yeah, it's just simple syrup, right? That's all it is. Oh, it's so gross. Okay, but then, like, let's not forget that the energy drinks started to commingle with liquor. So oh, Four Loco came out. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh God. And this is this is not the same thing. But I mean, I also had written in here like basically around this time, Jersey Shore's a thing, and everyone starts drinking Red Bull vodka too. Yeah, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. Such a thing. And if someone still orders that, red flag. It is a red flag. Yeah. I can't drink. I will not. I've never had a Red Bull in my life, and I don't drink vodka anyways, and that shit frightens me. If somebody orders Um, a Red Bull and vodka, tell them no, and then rip their toupee right off. (laughs) (laughs) Because it makes your hair fall out. It's true. Uh, Okay, I have these shots that, like, should be uh, gone forever, as we're going to call them, 86. I'm going to cancel these shots right now, Brooke. Great, great. Um, cause they're all disgusting. The redheaded slut. We've all, yep. we've all had one. Uh, the purple hooter, mm-hmm. the buttery nipple or the slippery nipple. They yeah. may be the same thing. The blow job. I think we yep. have. Yep. Yep. Uh, the muff diver, which is a blow job with a cherry on top. Oh my God. <laughs> the hot Mexican hooker. Wow. Um, I found the wet pussy. The blue balls and the the suck my dick. <laughs> just just a simple suck my dick. What do you say? Um, so okay. This is this is really interesting as well. This is very much late 80s moving into 90s and going all the way to the early 2010s, which we did not touch on, but this is the 
advent of bottle service, which mm. I hate with a fiery passion. Yeah. It is a complete, I mean, it is like on par with like an MLM, like a multi-level marketing scheme. Like basically just lazy jerks who understand that people who want to throw around money were just like, we're overwhelmed with the demand for these fruity drinks we're trying to make for everyone. So let's just send them a bucket of ice in their own goddamn bottle of liquor (laughs) with their own glasses and we're going to call it bottle service and basically you would be upcharged 1,000 times the original cost. Oh yeah. Oh yes. To have you to hold your own table and then be like, all right, great. We've got all these people circled around and now everyone can, <laughs> I don't like, cause then it would cost even more to get mixers. And so when you think about the quality of these drinks, it was probably literally people making screwdrivers. If that for that much money, mm-hmm. like it's not even good. Dude. And I, I, it's such a New York thing. I fucking hate it. I went to a bottle service thing and I'm I'm pretty sure we got a bottle of like effing black cherry. You know, like that's the shit people were getting then. I didn't pay for it. I didn't really frequent clubs like that. I felt like I was in a very foreign land being there. But I I'm, I'm happy to say I still I still uh I still experienced it while I was <laughs> It's like $6,000 for a bottle of Sky vodka. No, it really is. So, okay, the truth is, like, this is probably very late 90s, um, this horrible-sounding bar with a VIP room, um, Spy Bar, Chaos were two places, and it was $175 for a bottle of Stoliknaya. Oh, my God. Stoli. Stoli, everybody, right? Well, we had Beth Hoyt on, remember? Beth Hoyt talked all about her days. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then it gets even more egregious when you think about bottle service in Vegas or Miami, where all of the douches go to be even douchier. And it was $500 for a bottle of Grey Goose. And you've got people just making whatever garbage drink they want. You do no work. A bottle service girl just comes and like clunks down a bucket with ice and is like, fuck you, pay me. <laughs> Absolutely. And then they just an auto fucking grat that shit. 100%. And then it's but it's all about status. VIP section, like scene, like be, where yep. who's sitting that? Who's that? Like who's got the money? Like absolutely right. Weird, weird time. Very weird time. And so you've got this kind of douchey behavior happening where you've got all these sort of like late 90s and the different few years of the 2000s going on where, yeah, you still see people drinking a Cosmo. You see bottle service happening. Someone in the corner might have a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's hard to know (laughs) what's going to happen. And then I feel like one of the first major trend returns to people wanting complicated drinks was to me this came up immediately but like the the 2003 mojito craze mm-hmm. where suddenly everyone was like have you ever had a mojito <laughs> and fun fact when you google bartenders hate making it just autofills mojitos and then it's so messy. All of these articles and Reddit threads, everything dropped down. I immediately found. And like, it, it's it's just truly like I could make a gigantic batch of like 
10 Manhattans in the same, you know, jig or whatever, do the whole thing in the amount it takes me to make one mojito for these monsters. And they say, too, that the minute someone breaks the mold and like wanders up to the bar and like, do you have ingredients to make a mojito? Like you scrape it together, you bring it back to the table and then every order the rest of the night is mojitos. So this is when we were working at Bad Dog together, 100%. And we would have the ingredients and I bartended and it, it depended on my mood. Like... Sometimes people would be of like, course. do you have it? Could we? And then there was definitely like the, those first few nights of summer where the patio is open and you're still understaffed because you don't know if you're going to get that pop that ev- I would be like, yeah, yeah, we got them. And then uh, all fucking night long. And I will say my mojitas were fucking solid. Like, I'm sure they were. But it is a it is a stinky, messy, sticky. The mint goes everywhere. It sticks to the sides of everything. You have to like extra clean everything. Blech. So then right after that, like what you said, suddenly we just start seeing the beginning of the the true cocktail culture culture resurgence. And even from 1999, even though it was only like two places in New York City that truly to get away from these gaudy bottle service places which in New York and this is why I really had trouble like hanging out and living there for the first few years is because it was either a club with a bouncer who would be like you're ugly you can't come in um (laughs) you know or just like truly like the diviest of divey sad places to go die and then I feel like you did start to see little speakeasies pop up here and there very in the know and the truth is, it was a beautiful moment. It's like about a 10 to 15, you know, probably a full 10 years that has been popular everywhere mm-hmm. across mm-hmm. all cities, large and small. And yeah, you saw just a real return to homemade syrups, homemade bitters, measured craft cocktail, like getting the the old, you know, uh, the drinking glasses that match, you know, the best flavor and, you know, that, that elevates the drink experience and 100% that's my last few restaurant jobs were working within this fancier delicious muddled madness of goodness and you could charge a much yeah well so it went from here's your bottle of vodka go have fun with your harem um to Hmm. now the craft cocktail is a very personalized experience that's tailored to you mesmerizing mm-hmm. I love and eat you know, sitting at the bar watching all this go down is quite fun yeah you know it is yeah. it is it, but I was gonna say but especially in New York where this should have been going on since at least in Brooklyn where I was able to start going to things around 2008 like the speakeasy the bartenders with their twirly mustaches and suspenders the 15 straight minutes um, to hopefully get a drink at some point it, it's to a point where now articles are being written where speakeasies are the trend that needs to fucking die. That's more of a New York City or San Francisco sentiment. But in the meantime, if it doesn't take too long, hell yeah. Or the fact that like really smart restaurants have batched their Manhattans, their old fashions, you know, and are saving themselves so much time. I mean, here's the thing too. It's like, I think it was like a fun fad to like be a bartender and do all these things. But then just like now, oh boy, oh boy. 
Well, you're going to, yeah, you're, you're definitely going to have to know all, you know, the whole gamut. Cause I'm sure the next thing to come back is probably flare bartending. Like it's, <laughs> it's going to be back Tom Cruise style a big time. We're just going to want to be there and entertained for sure at the bar. Right. Exactly. Once we can go back out, we want everything. Uh, we want the bottles flying through the air. We want, it's going to be a resurgence of the experience Right. Well, because this this younger generation is now very obsessed with 80s and 90s. You know, mm. we lived it, so we don't really care, you know, uh, and they are we're going to see it. We're going to see our youth thrown back in our face so hard um, where people are going to be like, oh, my God, I'm doing I'm doing a blowjob <laughs> shot. You know, <laughs> we're going to call it a me too shot. I want to I don't know. That's, <laughs> we're going to call it a consensual wet pussy shot please <laughs> it's so crazy but we've i mean like the only thing i'm you know i'm more than fine we don't need to see um we don't need to see like full-on you know bathtubs where you come and scoop a bucket to take mm-hmm. home of gin mm-hmm. i'm okay not experiencing that you know yeah 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 for sure i just i want to make clear i'm a woman w-o-m-y-n okay and this slutty drink that i'm about to ask for you know it's for me the sluttiness <laughs> is my sluttiness and i just want to know how i can look like a slut for me with a burger i want to eat <laughs> Oh my uh, god. This was such a delight, you guys. Beyond yeah. delightful to dig into all this. I learned ridiculous. I learned so stuff. much and like Me too. I think but no matter what and there's so much more out there all the time. Like we're going to keep tapping into this. You know, we we I have so much fun with the runs of history of anything, the history of of women in the service industry which we will definitely tap on some more. If oh, you yeah. haven't heard those episodes, you guys, please go check them out. Um there'll be other ones. There's so much. The service industry is such a delight. Obviously, we do this podcast because we fucking love you. We love doing it. Um and we can't wait to bring you more. And James, thank you for doing a three-parter with us. We love podcasting with you whenever you're available. Absolutely. What an absolute pleasure. You ladies are hilarious. <laughs> Thanks. Ah, you guys. Well, um, we're so excited to come back with a new topic next week. And until then, you know what we say. Godspeed. And, and good, good tips. tips. Yeah. We'll Thanks so much, you guys, week. for listening.